On this episode of Athletic Training Chat, we have a very unique guest who's in a very unique setting uh, when it comes to the athletic training profession. We have Aaron Knorr, who is an athletic trainer out in California uh, and is really focusing on the performance, dance, and in particular, the breaking community. Uh, we had a really great discussion on just what that has looked like being an entrepreneur and starting Offset Med and what that looks like and just even the evolution in the relatively short time it's been around of what services they were looking to provide, how they were setting that up. Also got into uh, the nuts and bolts of what do you do with physician approval. Um, and we have one coming out in a week or two that we'll go and talk about that as well, uh, what that means, and kind of just the hurdles as of right now athletic trainers have to jump through in order to private practice. Really, really interesting episode. Aaron's doing some really unique things, and I think it's pretty awesome, especially with breaking, um, being part of the Olympics here, uh, coming up in the next four years, I believe. Um, as always, we are powered by Mueller Sports Medicine. Please think about them to check them out as you're looking at your sports medicine needs. Uh, great stuff, great people. But without further ado, we will turn it over to the episode and enjoy. episode of athletic training chat we are on with aaron nor uh, we connected through twitter because that seems to be the only way people can connect anymore these days you know given everything in the world but um i believe you popped up because there was a third party billing conversation going on and then i just clicked in and you saw you were doing some really interesting things and so i know that's going to be some we'll eventually get to the topic of that um most likely but your work with performance and dance and then looking even further into that, actually running your own company. Um, we've had a couple AT entrepreneurs on, but I think it is a fascinating area for the profession. Um, one that I'm fascinated by. Um, I have no idea if I'd ever be able to go out and do it. I don't know if I just have the stomach for it in that regard. But anyway, really wanted to talk about that stuff um, as the highlight of this. But before I keep going, Wanted to turn it over to you to fill in some background and just kind of how you got to where you are, and then we'll jump into some of the questions. I appreciate you having on, uh, Joel. It's it's kind of surreal, right? Connecting through Twitter, and then all of yeah. a sudden we're in a podcast together. <laughs> but uh, just to give all the listeners a background about myself, um, I'm an athlete trainer currently practicing in Southern California. Um, I would say my background is very uh, non-traditional. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, it's. I think the origin stories is very similar to how a lot, of, a lot of ATs get into the profession. Um, except I was a dancer rather than, you know, your typical basketball, soccer athlete. Uh, got hurt and uh, had an interaction with a, a physical therapist that helped me get back onto my feet but was like, is, is this it? Like I'm back to walking and running. Um, and I, I had a ACL reconstruction done. So okay. there were still some milestones. I did not feel confident in meeting in my 
own approach to return to dance as a, as a young dancer. And uh, I kind of had a chip on my shoulder <laughs> pretty much after that. And I was like, you know, I'm going to be that person to figure this out. Um, so, you know, luckily I uh, had some good interactions with the AT at my high school, you know, okay. being in California, you're, it's pretty lucky to have a, a full-time athletic trainer at your high school. Um, and he was a quality athletic trainer. So shout out to Nelson Chen um, at the time. And uh, yeah, that kind of kickstarted my journey into the, the realm of AT. Um, but at the same time, I was going through, um, it was a bachelor's degree at the time, not a master's. Yeah. And uh, I was able to do that and also still uh, compete uh, as a dancer in the Southern California, uh, circuit, which was a lot having to go to rehearsal, still show up to classes, go to clinicals, and then just repeat that grind. <laughs> um, you know, by the end of it, uh, I definitely saw the need even not only myself, but my peers. And I was like, man, this, this community is significantly underserved. Um, you know, I, I, want to see some sort of infrastructure built in here that we would normally see in whether it's high school, collegiate, professional athletics. And I was like, why isn't this here? So again, you know, this chip on my shoulder continues to grow and grow. <laughs> um, but at the same time, professionally, you know, I felt the need to learn all these different roles that I felt were missing and not just the AT role, but like, what does it mean for a coach to have a part in this return to performance spectrum? What does it mean to have other stakeholders involved, like the athletic director, or in this, in the case of dance, it's like the artistic director, the company director, um, who's funneling money in, where are they getting money from the sponsors? Are they getting it from, you know, sales? Like, and, and this kind of started this little entrepreneurial bug, but I didn't really know it at the time. I was just like, what are these underlying mechanisms to why this sport has all this stuff, but this one doesn't, right? Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, just to kind of get back on track, I, I ended up securing a uh, performing arts graduate assistantship uh, with the Shape Clinic in Ohio. So I was happily to be mentored under Dr. Jeffrey Russell. And he publishes a lot of performing arts medicine research and serves on numerous boards. So, you know, I got to see what it was like for him to build a performing arts clinic and in the collegiate setting and see what type of barriers he ran into, but also how he developed relationships to allow that to happen. And you know, it was both a eye-opening thing, but also it made me learn like, okay, if I continue on this path with, you know, this idea of wanting to do performing arts medicine, there's, there's even separate subsets within that. It's like, do you want to do that at a collegiate level? Do you mm -hmm. want to do that in the entrepreneurial sense? Do you want to do that in a private company and, and do touring? Those are like all separate skill sets with separate things. So um, I was like, I came here for answers and I left with more questions. <laughs> uh, uh, yes, I can imagine. And, um, you know, to, to be honest, it, 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 was a, it was a tough decision um, after my graduate assistantship 
because as you know, performing arts medicine opportunities are, are few and far to come between. Um, but luckily, you know, I had built relationships back when I was an undergraduate. Um, I was able to secure an internship with Disneyland back at the time when they mm -hmm. were still operating. So my connections there opened up, you know, a basically a door where I could step in and start my professional career. And then that kind of went on to other opportunities to where now I'm very lucky to be in a position where I'm an adjunct professor at a performing arts college in LA. And I get to teach, you know, these incoming freshmen, you know, these basic, I guess, health, wellness, prevention skills that, you know, we learn in athletic training profession, like, you know, what, what is basic performance nutrition? Um, what's a good warm-up look like? Why does the anatomy matter in this particular thing? How do you troubleshoot, you know, injuries, aches, pains, things like that for self-care. Um, and then I also work at the college as a, a athletic trainer as well. So that's kind of like, you know, what I did after, but then during that time, it's like always the off hours, you know, you're slowly mm -hmm. building your vision of how you want to put your experience into the world. So um, I started a company called Offset Med and it was a play on words um, in terms of like how medicine is going. Uh, we wanted to do something slightly different to offset the, the issues and um, lack of attention to specialized care that our performing artists needed and then you know being offset versus onset in terms of camera production and film sure. I thought that was really fun so um, that's the company we started and we just you know we kind of bootstrapped it um, where we just rolled up to some events I had some previous connections with the event host and organizer and I was like can we set up a little clinic here for your artist and uh, they're like, sure, we have no idea what you're doing or what this is, but I trust <laughs> you. So, you know, there do you whatever go. you want. And, um, you know, we got in there and everyone was like blown away. They're like, what, what is this? Like, I can come here and you guys can talk to me about my injuries and you guys can actually help me. And it was such like a novel concept right? in, um, in that population and we were like, okay, so we can try and build this and see where this takes us. So that's kind of the whole whole thing in short. Oh, so many directions I could take this. Um, <laughs> kind of a couple of just, and I think California plays into the context of this a little bit with um, license and all the different things there. Um, it, you know, just the only thing I've ever really seen frequently around dance is every once in a while on the NATA one, you'll see Vegas pop up. That seems to be a lot of the performing arts. So mm -hmm. um, I think it's a, it, it's a small emerging one, um, but specifically in California, you know, are in starting your own company, like do you have to work under a physician or because of the way things are set up, you're able to go out and do this, um, you know, as an athletic trainer to provide, you know, like you said, kind of setting up these, uh, the, your initial kind of like clinic, you know, as you had mentioned. Yeah, this was a huge question I battled with when I came back. Mm -hmm. We know that best standard or, you know, quote unquote, the, the standard of care is to work 
under a physician and have that standard operating procedure. Like we learned that in school. So this is where theory to practice, there's, there's a little disconnect now. And it, everything I feel like I've learned is, is very contextual. So, I mean, I'll, I'll kind of explain the process. Yeah. Um, so I moved back and that was, that was my mindset. I was like, I need to go find a physician. I need sure. to create this idea with. And again, you know, I, I hit up uh, an uh, old preceptor of mine um, when we used to do gen med rotations back in school. His name was Dr. Kateris. He was the, I think he's still the team doctor for USA Volleyball, but he does a lot of work with um, American Ballet Theater in Orange County. And I remember having early conversations with him about my ideas, my plans, and like, can you just, you know, give me an SOP and, you know, we'll get this started. And he was like, hold on there. Like, <laughs> he's like, it was funny because he, he always brought it back to kind of, like these really fundamental questions where it was like, well, first of all, you do know that California, there is no licensure for athlete training. And I'm like, yeah, I know that. But I'm like, I'm trying to stay with the, the best practice and I want to hold the highest standard. And he's like, okay, that's great and all. Um, so what is it, what, what is going to be my job responsibility, my duties, right? And so I like thought about it. I was like, well, like, I would love for you to like show up at these events and, you know, do all these things. And he's like, Aaron, I run my own private practice. And if I'm not there, my practice doesn't make money. And if they're not paying you, this is pro bono work. And if you have no business plan for this and no way for a mutual exchange, then it's not sustainable. And I was like, well, this is really hard. <laughs> <laughs> See, I think that part right there, and I want you to continue is where I get hung up. It's like, oh, crap. Now I got to figure out how to make money. So, Right. And I mean, that's, that's where I definitely got hung up on. So, you know, further down the conversation, um, I mean, I was, I was brand new. I, mm -hmm. and I had roughly a plan. Um, but you know, during my early conversations with him, he, and, and even before when I was doing my jet med rotations with him, you know, he asked me, you know, pick a career path where, you know, you are allowed to do what you love to do. And at that time I was like, do I want to stay in AT? Do I want to become a PA? Do I want to become a full-fledged doctor? And he was like, well, what do you want to do? I was like, I want to educate performing artists. I want to make sure that they are you know, rehab properly and, you know, return to strength and be able to perform. And he was like, do you need a medical license to do that? <laughs> and I was like, technically not, especially if I'm thinking about staying in California. Mm -hmm. And he was like, well, there it is. And I was like, okay. And I was like kind of satisfied with that answer for a little while. And then obviously fast forward, I come back, I'm trying to make this idea happen. And then in the back of my head, it's like, you told me I didn't need this. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so now it became a situation of like, can I make this work or can I make this sustainable? So I go back to the drawing board and we do a couple of events and I'm like, okay, well, there's still missing pieces to this. 
right? It's the first one. I obviously don't go up to the event organizer and say, I'm going to provide you the full suite of care. You know, I'll even provide you an AED. I'll even provide splint. Like I don't have that stuff. So I can't say that. So it's very, very specific in what I'm able to offer at the time and what's within my scope and understanding my own limitations. So I think that's what allowed me to do that. I think over time, as we grew, you know, I started trying to find other physicians to come on board and uh, was lucky to reconnect with another good friend of mine. Her name is Dr. Tina Wing. Um, she also works with a law performing artist as well um, and is a PMNR physical medicine and rehabilitation mm-hmm. specialist. And, you know, we got into a recent conversation where I was like, you know, maybe it's time for me to revisit establishing another SOP or trying to get this plan up again. And it's interesting because her take was that, you know, the reason why that it's so difficult, even um, within medicine itself, it's not even like athletic trainer to physician. It's just the whole concept of uh, medical liability. Mm -hmm. Like for a physician to sign off on these orders that isn't there present and have a good standing relationship um, and they have to literally put their license on the line for you. Like that is a tall order. That, that's asking quite a bit. Yeah. I hear you. So I can understand why it works in professional settings and, you know, settings where there's a lot of income because they can actually pay off that, you know, medical liability or that waiver so that you can have that physician side on board and obviously you know they're going to have very very strict outlines of what can be done what can't be done because it's if someone messes up it's going to go back onto them and uh i think athletic trainers looking to establish these operating procedures with physicians it's not about i guess like having the idea or the plan anymore it's about like developing the relationship first because now like I understand I don't have you know an official SOP I understand I'm practicing in California it doesn't mean I'm not practicing under uh, physician supervision because if I run into an issue I can text them like they are only a phone call away yep so how is that any different than working in a a D1 setting where you have an established relationship with a physician. Even when I was in graduate school and we had a a DO um, and uh, same thing, I ran into a case. There's an athlete that just had a concussion. I felt like I couldn't, I was missing something. And then I would just call him and be like, Hey, can you help me do this eval? Sure. You know? Um, And it's because we have that established relationship and trust and, and with them, it, it like took some reps too, because they needed to see me try it and they needed to see me fail and succeed. And, and until they're like, okay, like I'm pretty comfortable with your skill set. So that's how it kind of ended up. Yep. That's, I think that's the unique thing, especially in the other states that'll be in. Just see how that plays out for athletic trainers. I know they're looking to try and at different states go more autonomous in terms of their licensure when it comes to those things. So it'll be an an interesting future to say the least. 
I'm I'm very curious, and for any ATs or physicians listening to this, I'm curious to see what your input and thoughts are too. Because, like I said, and like you said, it's going to be different for every state and you know wherever you're practicing. And I I already know, especially if we kind of talk legal battles, that some professions are going to be unhappy of letting <laughs> other professions have a little autonomy and things like yes. that. Yes, they will. Um, curious as to kind of the like business model of offset um, med. Um, you kind of you referenced earlier kind of the initial things. You kind of went and set up at an event and had people coming and seeing you and doing things. Um, not getting quite into the insurance thing yet, but um, in that you know you said you're a cash based um, company. So is it? exclusively like seeing people like one-on-one in kind of a traditional in quotes sense, or are you doing things like you're going out and instead of necessarily covering, you know, a large basketball tournament that the organization's paying you to be there, you know, is that something that you guys do or is it a healthy combination of the both of those things? Yeah, I would say if you, if you look at businesses, you will see what businesses do and then you will see what businesses turn into their accountants. <laughs> okay. So, um, I mean that to say that, uh, you know, a business's cash flow may not always look like what the businesses does on a daily basis. Sure. So I would say, uh, our particular practice has evolved, um, over even the past year, <laughs> to be honest, um, because that was kind of like how we were operating, where our initial model was that we would, you know, have conversations with potential event organizers, where we knew there were going to be a lot of people in our target demographic, Mm -hmm. um, being dancers, and offer our pro bono services there. Okay, And then our conversations there, would be like, if you like what you, you know, received today and you want to continue this, um, let's set up an appointment, let's set up a call, let's set up a consult. And then we'd see you one-on-one. Uh, over time, you know, we've learned that at least in our population was that we weren't making money from being at these large events because, know if anything it was more about uh brand awareness it was Mm -hmm. more about showing up meeting the person um and seeing what they had to offer so it's very much a marketing maneuver and then you test that marketing maneuver depending on what conversions or return on investment you get from that interaction and most of the time uh the i would say the education and the knowledge of what our profession provides is like no one knows that in in the quote-unquote dance performing arts world Mm -hmm. i think it's very well established what a chiro does what a physical therapist does sure but athletic training mm -mm. very 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 new concept so it ended up working to our advantage in the sense that we were very well known. We would see the same competitors at each event. And as the year went on, they would trust us more and more. They would refer people to us. 
um, they were more comfortable being around us. So, you know, as like I said, on a bank statement, we're like taking hits, hits and hits. But the social value, the relationship value, that actually compounded. So it's kind of a different metric. Mm-hmm. Um, so as we were doing that, uh, like you said, you know, we are cash based. So uh, we would talk with our clients and say, like, you know, it's pretty much if it's like as you would go, you know, go try and service your car. Like, can you check if my alignment's good? Um, can you how long is this going to take an hour or two hours? Right. So we had those conversations with them after we kind of do an initial assessment um, and, and meeting with them and then build a plan from there and then agree on a price point. Um, over time, obviously, uh, in COVID times, uh, we weren't able to do events as much. We weren't able to kind of lease or rent out the facility to conduct our uh, treatments and, and sessions. So we actually are in the process of, you know, pivoting to a more education-based um, service um, okay. where we are creating our own uh, kind of content. Um, and teaching other clinicians uh, the basic infrastructure and framework on how we approach treating performing artists. Um, and specifically with us, uh, the breaking population. Um, and, you know, breaking just made it to the 2024 Olympics. So we're really excited about that. Sure. Um, kind of just jumping off of that. Um with the pivot to education, you know, you had a background in performance um, that ultimately kind of drove a lot of, it sounds like a lot of, you know, your kind of career decisions and getting to work in that. For somebody that has an interest in working in this setting of athletic training, what advice would, would you give those people? Yeah. I'm a firm believer that you don't have to be a performing artist to work in the performing arts. I think you can learn it um, because I, I truly believe everyone's kind of got an artistic side to them and kind of tapping into that. It's kind of like the same concept as uh, what I had to do when I didn't know how, to, how what basketball was or football was mm-hmm. and all that you, you immerse yourself in it, right? You, start watching games, but in the case of dance, watch dance performances, um, go out and see a show when that obviously becomes available. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, if you have friends that are in the arts, like talk with them, ask them about their experience, ask them about their life. If you don't have friends in the performing arts, go out online. There's plenty of artists offering classes, individual mentorships, one-on-ones, privates. There's platforms where you can actually take classes online now. Like there's so many different ways to get yourself indirectly involved to just learn things that we care about. Like what are the mechanics? What are the language that they use? What are the things that they care about? Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's the biggest uh, thing is that if you want to work in the performing arts world, you have to understand that's a culture. It's not just a, a sports setting or a right. type of movement. 
it embodies something much more than that. Um, and once you get, you know, immersed in the culture, then naturally people are going to recognize that, oh, like you understand what I'm talking about. And then that kind of feeds into building that relationship and, and trust. And then that can feed into like, hey, can you take a look at, you know, my shoulder? Because when I do this movement, it really bothers it. And then you can kind of like, oh, well, this is something I'm familiar with. And you just right, do it right. that way. No, that's perfect and unique to just, again, to get in and get after it. And I think that's really good advice. Um, I, I do want to talk about, you know, cash base versus third party and just kind of your general take on it um, from being on one side of the athletic training uh, profession in terms of your cash based model. And I know we were talking a little bit off air um, just about how that looks from setting to setting um, as that became a very hot topic very quickly on Twitter and I think is slowed down a little bit. But before we jump into that, I don't want to jump off of um, the offset met or anything else if we haven't covered everything you would like to. So is there anything else around, you know, going on that entrepreneurial route um, that you would want to discuss or share to somebody that might be considering doing it? That's a, that definitely is a can of worms, but <laughs> sorry. That, yeah. Open-ended questions. I'm big on them. <laughs> I would say uh, if you are interested in jumping more into the entrepreneurial route of, you know, athlete training um, and there's, trust me, there's, there's a lot of, I guess, uh, fears or, um, you know, ideas of what that looks like. <laughs> I feel like the biggest thing to do is to like a understand that you may not hit all the marks that you imagined for yourself. So you kind of have to let go of some expectation because, you know, as, as crazy as it sounds, you know, most of the time, if we think about what the athletic profession or like job settings is, in terms of like career, mm -hmm. right? it is very controlled. Um, you know, you work for an employer uh, and it's very like you earn a salary. Maybe it's per diem. You earn an hourly wage. But when you transition to this entrepreneurial side, uh, you take full ownership of the loss and gains that you get, um, in, especially in the beginning, you know, like your inputs may not always match your outputs mm -hmm. is the simplest way I can put it. But as you get better, as you learn these skills, they may start to, you know, align themselves or maybe outperform themselves. Um, but it can be learned. You know, I, I reflect back now where, I mean, I started thinking and creating this venture when I finished grad school in 2018 and I knew nothing about business absolutely nothing. I was like a clinician at heart. Sure. Um, and that was two years ago. But then when I think ago, when I think back two years prior to even finishing grad school, I was like fresh out of undergrad and I like barely knew anything about athletic training. So like, if you give yourself the time to be, you know, immersed in it, then it will come. It's just, I think the daily in 
and grind and the let that letdowns and the losses can sometimes uh, discourage people. But I would say know that it's it's there because it's it's trying to test your resolve, right? Like how mm-hmm. how badly do you want to learn this? How badly sure. do you want to keep pushing through this? So I would say that's probably a good starting point. Yeah, you can learn a lot in two years if you if you dedicate yourself to whatever it is that you want to learn. And like I think you said the immersion part of it is so important. Um, and trying to fully get a grasp of it. It's one thing to read. It's another to, to figure it out on in real time. <laughs> you said perfectly, man. <laughs> um, what, are, what is your take on, you know, third-party billing and athletic training, kind of specifically to your setting? Um, you know, a pr- private practice, if that's a route. I know you've kind of mentioned that you guys are looking to pivot um, to an educational thing, which I think is awesome as well and has so many other you know, positives to it. Um, but if you were to continue to try and do private practice, is it something that you see as a potential in the future or you know, is it necessary to prove the value of an athletic trainer, do you think, you know, to get on the insurance billing train if you will yeah i think it's not as a as simple of a question i think there are some underlying questions that could lead you to a a good answer or or not so in essence right if we talk about what third party reimbursement is is that you know you the the new player that enters the field is the insurance company Mm -hmm. right so you have the medical provider, the insurance company, and the, the client or the patient. Um, so, you know, in that sense, you know, most people are, are going to have to go through insurance. They're, they're very conditioned to like, I got to buy health insurance to access medical services. Yep. And this is for every American, right? Um, which means that the volume of people that you're going to see and type of people that you're going to see is variety is, is very wide. Um, and the problems that you will see are, are very wide. <laughs> yes. So I, I'm just, I'm just opening it up with that because in essence, when it comes to whether you want to do cash based or accept third party reimbursement, it's almost like saying, how much control do you want to have in the type of patients that you want to work with? Sure. Before we even get to kind of like the, the legal and logisticals things of it, because the conversations I have with other practitioners working in a cash-based practice is that, you know, over time they've built really strong relationships, but they're not seeing everybody on the face of the planet. Right. They're seeing people that they want to see. They're seeing people that value them at the price point that they feel like they're worth. And, you know, it's very hard. It, it took them a while to get there, but they, they got there and they're having a thriving practice and it's great. Right. And, you know, they are, they don't have to sacrifice volume because they can still make that same quote unquote desired income mm-hmm. with 
the clientele that are able to afford them at that price point versus what you normally see in clinics that do take um, insurance is that they're, if you, if you see them or you look at their schedule, it's like patient after patient after patient, because there's just so many people that need to get seen, but because the reimbursement from the insurance company to the medical provider is significantly lower than the value of what it actually costs, they have to see more to meet that margin. Mm -hmm. So I, I think it also becomes an issue on, you know, what, what does the organization or the medical provider value? Right. Sure. So in the case of offset med, you know, we've had conversations because uh, we also have a physical therapist that we work with to eventually open it up so that we can take clients with insurance, mm -hmm. <laughs> but it would have to be processed through our physical therapist, not as an athlete trainer because right. of the way, you know, the current standing is. So we're talking about, why ATs want to fight for third-party reimbursement? I understand, you know the the reasons behind it, because you know if you look at where ATs are kind of like, you know, where their job settings are, you're thinking mostly high school and college, and mm -hmm. depending on the high school, not everyone works at a well-funded high school. Right. 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 And uh, maybe insurance, if their parents are paying for insurance and maybe that is the only option and they can only afford that small little copay or what that, what have you, and it would make it somewhat affordable, but you know, my, my standpoint on that is like, you know, if they're your, your copay to see receive physical therapy services or whatever is like 20 bucks, 25 bucks what else could you buy with 25 bucks you probably could have you know they probably spent that on a foam roller right or something else like a couple meals um so i think if that becomes the case it's like is what you're is the value and service you're providing worth what they're exchanging that money for yeah, I, man, it just it seems to become a slippery slope, depending on the setting you're in, because, and I don't know enough about the details of it, like, can you go off book if you're billing to insurance? So like, if you're billing in 15 minute increments, you know, and you're doing all these things, can you do all this extra stuff, but only bill for the certain things? And does that ultimately, you know, benefit you? But I think your point is really interesting in that, you know, establishing that relationship with your specific clientele and having being a cash base is they probably will come see you for something that insurance won't reimburse anyway. You know, in, ter in terms of an ache or a pain or something, you know, that you could really benefit their performance in, but it's not a injury you know in quotes by the definition of the insurance company and so therefore you've just kind of priced yourself out of being able to get seen because you're not going to get reimbursed for that even though it could make all the difference in the world i mean i think you hit the nail on the head anything performance-based even prevention-based is not going to be billed by insurance or you can't you can't bill it yeah you have to and get really, really creative like, 
<laughs> yeah, I can't really create it. It's like, why, why is it that all the high value care is low value in the, in the face of insurance companies and the medical system? And that's where, you know, I decided to take the entrepreneurial route because I was like, I definitely see the value in this. Let me show you the value in this. You'll feel it in your body. And then you're going to have like, oh, this is why all my sessions with this last provider through my insurance was not helpful at all. Mm -hmm. They didn't take, and there's almost a psychology to it as well. It's like, <laughs> if I have you, Joel, as one of my patients and you pay me, I don't know. I, I know on the back end is that every hour I work with you, I probably get 30 bucks in my pocket. But then I have Larry that is my cash-based patient and he understands what I'm giving him and he's willing to pay me 80 bucks an hour. Mm -hmm. By default, you know, it's, it's kind of like wiring. It's like, well, you're paying me more. I almost feel like I have to do more for you or like sure. I feel like sure. I have to deliver a really great session for you because I, I know that you also have the choice to leave and do right. something Absolutely. else with somebody else yep. versus with you. It's like, well... I'm here. My insurance told me be here. I'm just trying to like go through my thing. And you're like, well, yeah, I get 15 of these until they'll finally give me an injection, you know? So let's just get through them. Right. It's like almost like a whole different yeah. mindset. No, I, I, I think that's something that's unique. I know a few people locally, you know, that you pay for a 90 minute session and it's what gets accomplished in that 90 minute session. It's not, well, there's, 15 minutes for eval or 30 minutes. And then there's your stretching. And then, you know, it's not these unit based things. It's we're going to do some stuff and we're going to kind of test and retest throughout the whole process of it. And if something seems to be working, well, we're going to continue to work that way. And it's what we can get done in that 90 minutes that you paid for. And so mm -hmm. it's hard not to walk out of somewhere feeling better after 90 minutes of, you know, working with someone or, you know, after you get through that first 90 minutes, you know, that next 40 or 60 or whatever it may be, because you have that ability to ebb and flow and figure out what's really working. Yeah, I think that's kind of the the secret sauce of it, right? Yeah, and the copay thing just confuses me too, because I can see in certain institutions, there's ways to try and get around the copay. But if you're still having somebody pay you a copay, it's probably going to still get fairly expensive for them unless it's way late in the calendar year. And, you know, just like everybody on insurance, you try and get everything done before it resets on January. Pretty and much. even then you might still yeah. have plenty of co-pays, uh, but depending on what it looks like for your deductible, man, those bills can get just as high, just as quick, if not higher. I, and I've seen that I argument mean, as well. Yeah. It, it's kind of crazy when you like actually look at how people spend their their money in, in relation to medical services is that, you know, if you're a healthy athlete, you're probably not going to be meeting your annual deductible in order right. for you to even qualify for cheaper co-pays. So unless you had something big happen, unless you had something big happen. And I know some, some providers that are kind of working, you know, with insurance companies is that, uh, they're able to kind of count that as like a, like you say, you have a health savings account, right? Sure. Um, you know, you can use that money 
they can take that and then it, it does kind of like count into what you're paying for. So there are business practices that you can create and construct your practice to allow for, for something like that to happen. Um, I think you just have to go look for it. Oh, it'll be a brave new world at some point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, Oh man, I'm just such a bigger thing. Like the health model it, or the, how it's set up now with insurance, like we'll see how it changes obviously with the political landscape. Cause that's its own unique thing um, to throw into it. But you know, at some point, like how big is it going to get, you know, our local health systems, you know, the one we go through just raise their rates on absolutely every service they had. Well, I don't know if that's, it, it'll eventually directly impact me because I'm sure our insurance will change how much we have to pay them because of these new rates, even though they're determining what gets paid. And I, at some point, I feel like that it's one of those too big to fail type moments at some point where it's just going to get so big, it's going to be unaffordable to keep it up. But yeah, that, yeah, mean, that could be a whole other. <laughs> that's a whole thing. other thing. I mean, that is the model of how insurance companies work. It's sure. Like how many of this, how many people are actually utilizing the services, how many are not. And we got to offset the cost of all these people yep. who are high utilizers. It's all about the numbers and they've got those pretty well pegged to make sure that they don't lose money. <laughs> this is oh. Anything else around any of this that you would like to cover uh, before we hop into those AT5 chat five questions? I mean, I feel like just saying this to, to say it to anyone who, you know, was uh, following the whole third party reimbursement conversation we had. And, you know, I, I know the, I think the AT itself is still trying to fight for, um, CMS recognition, mm -hmm. um, just to be able to even get to the, the next step of third party reimbursement. Sure. You know, that part, like I I'm for, you know, being recognized as a medical provider absolutely um, in the eyes of that, but whether or not to go and push for third party reimbursement, I think it's a mixed bag. It all depends. It's, it seems like that's the ultimate answer. It, it depends on the setting you're in. It depends how you want to set it up, and, and you know, and who you're who you're taking care of. Very true. Very true. But yeah, that's about it, man. I kept it short and sweet. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so jumping into those questions, those AT chat questions. This, this question almost lines up perfectly as we've been talking about this. You know, where do you see athletic training going in the next five to 10 years? And if you could kind of set the example of that. Holy moly. <laughs> <laughs> Just a simple, you know, That's subtle question. question. Yeah. Uh, 18, the next five to 10 years. Well, I guess I'll kind of, I, I, I want to say that I hope that the AT profession uh, continues to just like surprise the NATA with how much they're able to accomplish within the traditional setting, but also these emerging settings. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've looked at the numbers and, and see kind of where 
you know, most of the profession is working. And I would like to see the pies in those emergent settings continue to grow because, sure. you know, I, I think those are emerging settings for a reason. Um, whether you're working corporate, working uh, in industrial settings, like these are industries where there is money available to siphon towards creating sustainable job opportunities. And I hope they recognize that in the educational experiences and material that are provided to help transition athletic trainers better to work with not just, you know, acute sports settings, but for dealing with uh, chronic illness, how to go through more long-term rehabilitation programs and with return to work settings and talking with other stakeholders and how to create some new unique models of care. Couldn't agree more. Oh, what advice would you give yourself if you could go back as a young athletic trainer, you know, coming and if you can set that coming right out of undergrad, coming right out of grad school. I feel like if I, if I could give myself any advice back then is to not focus so much on the content of what it is to learn to be an athletic trainer, but rather focus more on building relationships and having experiences with the community you want to impact. So I say that broadly, but, you know, to go more in specific, it's like, I wish I spent more time, you know, dancing with my friends. I wish I spent more time, you know, going to events and talking with choreographers more. I wish I had more time, you know, building those like, or deepening those relationships more rather than saying like, well, I'm just going to study the bones of the body and it's going to make sure. me an athletic trainer. Right. Sure. No, I'm with you. What has been so, so far the most influential resource that you found? So many. <laughs> um, this question gets so many random answers. It's fantastic. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You know, it's funny. Um, I would say podcasts, man. Okay. I was I was an early podcast listener back when people were like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm right. listening to people talk. <laughs> um, yep. But yeah, it's, it's crazy to see how many minds I get to like pick from and learn from Absolutely. and it's freely accessible. Um, and I feel like I know some of these people because I've just listened to their voice so much. Um, but it's, it's cool. I've, it's, I get to learn from ATs, PTs, DCs, business owners, uh, Absolutely. just life. Totally going to put you on the spot. What are some favorites? Uh, favorite podcast. It's so funny. I just, uh, got the Spotify like 2020 and kind of list out your sure. most listened to podcasts. And, um, I would say, my number one uh, podcast right now, it's it's purely for just like entertainment listening and keeping up with news, but it's the Snacks Daily podcast. Okay. And they talk about um, business acquisitions and things that are happening in the economy. Oh, interesting. Uh, 
and they kind of produce a show every every morning. So I, I do that to be like, wow, this is kind of what's happening in the world and sure. it's kind of governing, uh, you know, consumers right now in the market. Um, my second one is actually one that I've, I've been a long time listener of. It's like the Tim Ferriss show. Love it. Oh, I'm so far behind because I don't haven't had to drive to work every day. Um, I know. Of COVID, yeah. But man, I love the Tim Ferriss show. That's that was a huge intro. Like that was number one for me, like the first the first podcast <laughs> listening to. Um, yep. Yeah, it's it's interesting because like it's not every episode like I listen to because he just produces so much and they're yeah. long shows. Yes. But I'm, I feel like there's going to be somebody, there's going to be something on there for, for everybody, you know? Absolutely. Yep. I don't listen to all of them, but I listen to most because if nothing else, it's a chance to like stretch myself a little bit to hear something different. Yes. Yes. I agree. And then um, I guess for the ones that really love the hard sciences and sometimes I'm in the mood for that, but other times I'm just there for leisure, as you can tell. Um, I listened to, uh, the drive from Peter Atia. Okay. So he's, I haven't uh, listened to him, but have listened to him on Tim Ferriss and I'm always fascinated by Peter Atia. Yeah. He's, uh, he's like one of those, I, I feel like this guy's like a unicorn cause you're, you're a very well accomplished doctor in functional medicine you do your own training and work, you understand injury prevention and you can see this like whole, like you understand like the literal, you know, biochemistry and molecular yeah. physics of like all this stuff. I'm like, damn, this guy's smart. <laughs> yes. Very smart and very clinical practitioner base. Like not just, not just the smarts, but the, the actual application of it. Agreed. So yeah, those are, those are my top three. Perfect. Um, if you could change or eliminate one thing, could be a modality, a common practice or a mindset, whatever you choose in the field of athletic training, what would it be? I would, it's funny because I remember reading this question up a little bit earlier and it kind of stumped me, but I, I would say my answer would be I wish that athletic trainers um, can remove themselves or at least remove their ego from treating themselves as like uh, that they are either A, the, the healers, B, that they are, that their program or their treatment is like the sole reason for someone's success or three, um, that things are very, very simple, that you can reason through everything. I, I feel like coming out of athlete training education, everything was very uh, linear based. Like this is step one, this is step two, mm -hmm. you clear this, you clear through this and all right, you should be good. Um, and then over time, you know, just come to learn that there are a lot of underlying factors sure. and, um, you know, your hands and, and clinical judgment can only do so much and the rest is up to the world. 
I hear you. That's something I say a lot, even with my AT students and sometimes staff is, you know, we don't heal anybody. Like we, we are just trying to help set up the best environment possible for their, their body and everything else they do to actually heal them. And that, okay. that's it. Like, don't, don't put that pressure on yourself that you need to heal them. Cause you, you, you can't like, you can only set it up for their body to take over and it they play obviously a huge role in that agreed and i'm not saying that that you know we, what we don't do is valuable like oh absolutely means, what we do is like, like we are the 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 shepherds that allow this to happen but sure um but yeah i think uh especially for for me it was like you know you come in you're like all right had all these internships i did grad school <laughs> i'm a hot shot coming out and then you're yep, like yep. nope life yep. life experience will humble you i've had that more times than i probably care to admit <laughs> um last question uh what does being an athletic trainer mean to you you know i, I would say being an at for me has i don't know it's like this weird relationship where i feel like we're I'm part of this like secret organization that is just creating outcomes after outcomes and no one wants to like recognize it. <laughs> so for me, it's more of like, uh, I wear it almost like a badge where I'm like, I'm an AT and I can do what you do and I can do a little bit of what you do and a little bit of this. Um, and it's very unique and I think in my life, I've kind of strived for experiences that kind of, you know, make me feel that way. And I think sure. AT was was one of the ways to do that. That's a unique way to look at it. And I, I really like it. So thank you for sharing that one. I, I hadn't thought of it that way. So um, yeah, I man, really no like problem. perspective. Um, before we officially wrap up, if people wanted to reach out to you, get in contact, we'll link up everything that you shared with me. But if you just wanted to say it out loud, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Yeah, I feel like I'm probably most active now on Twitter. Um, you know, but you can also find offset med on Instagram at offset.med. We also got a website. You could also go check out our website, www.offsetmed.com. Perfect. We will get but, that all linked up so people can get to that. But yeah, um, I mean, as you can tell, always open for conversation. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate that because it works out pretty well for me that you were open to having the conversation. <laughs> Well, I really do appreciate you taking the time. Uh, look forward to continuing to see what you do uh, through the social media sphere and um, hope to connect at some point again in the future. Appreciate you, Joel. Thank you so uh -huh. much for having me on your show. Absolutely.